The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Why is shame such a powerful emotion? How does it affect us mentally, physically, emotionally? I'm Nadia Davis. I'm a mom, author, attorney, and kundalini yoga teacher who has experienced public shaming that brought me to my knees. On this podcast, I'm going to tell you how I'm living the work taking shame out of the shadows. I'll give you real-life advice and skills to take away with you throughout your day. You'll hear from powerful guests who have overcome trauma and emerged stronger than ever. You too can ban the shame within and around you. Join me. You are not alone. Oh my God, how am I going to talk about this and not lose it? Mm. Because it feels so, it's right there on the surface. And it's really deep. I thought, oh my God, I really like Nadia. How am I going to do this? <laughs> I was really nervous driving in. You know, I, I've, I brought my beagle. She's over here snoring. And I, <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, no, I, I, I need, I want to do this. This is what shame tells me. Oh, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. No. I was nervous. I've been nervous. Oh my God. I, I know this we, doctor has written uh, all these books, this expert on shame. Oh and here I am. Oh, shame is destroyed. You know, so absolutely. Just, and, you know, and, and Nadia, you were, you were nervous. I was very nervous, but I thought, nope, got to show up. I, I made my, I'm committed to working with you doing this. And I love what you're doing. Mm. And, and you make it very easy to speak. And you're very, an excellent therapist, host, and you are, and I was nervous. I'm relieved. I'm glad we did this. It's all about human connection. And Dr. Marissa Franco talks about how, you know, it requires us to be vulnerable. And I love this part of this line in her book that like, whoa, what we feel vulnerable about is what we feel shame about or in ourselves or what we've learned to feel shame about. And so your willingness to come here and, and dive into that, you know, screw that feeling of vulnerability and just talk, you know, um, I hope that it allowed more healing in the sense of like, when you told that pastor in the last episode, you shared the story about when you told the pastor you know, about your struggle with reading and all of a sudden there was a shift. And why, why is it so hard for us to put that into feelings of shame into words? Like your chapter title, what is the shame factor? And how did you walk through everything after the point 
or a name was put on it. Hearing that, Nadia, I've never been able to explain it to just now. When Winston said that to me, it's as if I was standing at the rim of the Grand Canyon. Okay, we've identified this is the Grand Canyon. How in God's green earth am I going to get around through this? But I felt relieved to know what it was. Mm. That was curative. You know, there's a saying, you can't let go of what you don't know you're holding. You can't heal what you don't know you need to heal. But I, having Winston say that to me, I look, is this, I'm looking at the Grand Canyon. Okay, so I need to walk down there, walk through it, and walk on the other side. What's well, eight miles down to the river? Literally eight miles down. Where do you start? Bikes acknowledging shame is paralyzing, and I don't want to be its slave. Paralyzing. Paralyzing. Shutting down. And people talk about paralysis. I'm always thinking that's the shame factor. Panic attacks, all of it. I don't want to oversimplify it, but I don't want to underrate it. You know, dismiss it. I've never had somebody who's really depressed who doesn't struggle with shame. Or someone who's really anxious who's not worried about impending doom. It's the end of the world. Something's going to happen. Mm. Like today, and I tell guys all the time, you want, you want your, your partner to love and adore you? Be vulnerable. Vulnerability breeds intimacy and compassion and healing. And honesty and strength. And honesty. Mm-hmm. And I tell you, you know, guys, doesn't worry about getting divorced. Be vulnerable with your wife. And she'll follow you. You'll follow her the rest of the days of your life in a great way. And so, it's that safety. Yeah. But I get tired. Really not safe place to each other. But hearing about shame, hearing it from Winston's like, oh, oh boy. I'm everything. Okay. But it was a huge relief. Huge relief. Did you say... What the heck is that? I looked at my go. You knew. I go, yeah. I go, that's it. And I knew that he knew what it was. And that was enough. Nobody can talk about shame, really talk about shame if they haven't. You know when someone's experienced it. The way he said that to me, I knew that he, he knew it firsthand. He had struggled with it too. Because it wasn't academic. It was soulful. It came from the soul. And so was, is that like the first needs to come from that soul and love based place. And when we put a name on it. Yeah. A lot of people say psychology is spiritualist or, or just dry. That's not true. Any more than that's why I love the program, the 12 step, because they incorporate a spiritual perspective. Mm-hmm. All psychology is a spiritual perspective. There's nothing in there that's not spiritually based. Same nothing. The uh, self acceptance is self love. 
that you know um the ability to forgive we know how valuable that is uh the ability to listen you know being of service to people um an inventory what about personal accountability right how about responsibility taking responsibility for you there's not one quality in uh, clinical psychology that doesn't embrace these truths boundaries respect for others sensitivity compassion empathy there's no there's no um diversion support and the other thing was like with is the relationships everything in life is about a relationship and i realized when winston said to me that what you're starting with steven shame i go that affects every relationship and particularly this one me with me mm-hmm. and now i have that was okay we're gonna hike okay let's go down let's go into the grand canyon had you had or, or describe the relationship with yourself before that it was that that there was a maintenance lot. of yeah good enough in this exactly because i have this flaw Okay, there's up. a name on it, but mm-hmm. what was that relationship like? It was before very, and how did it evolve after that? Yeah, it, I think the relationship was more anxious based. Like okay. I was always always anxious about it. I couldn't really relax deep down. Um, so it was that anxiety, and around the corner, it can implode. Mm-hmm. What this facade or this this not facade, but this. That running to stand still. Yeah, that, yeah exactly. That, okay. Like you were saying earlier. Yeah, running to stand still. And this chronic dis-ease. Chronic uneasiness. Like, it just, it's, I could calm down, but it wasn't, deep down, there wasn't this soulful rest. Okay. I I remember walking out of his office as if it was today and thinking, wow. And I'm working at a church at the time and I'm thinking, I don't think I'm going to talk about this with my, my colleagues yet. Because mm. they would think I'm, I've lost my mind or I've gone secular, you know, I mean, or I've gone off the path. So there's was shame about naming shame. <laughs> exactly. Shame <laughs> about keeping the secret. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that's not how it is. Yes. So let's jump into what the shame factor is. So but after that point, yes. you're in college and then you go to, to graduate school? Graduate school. And then mm-hmm. um, I'm working um, I take a leave of absence from the police department. I work at a church as a as a okay. past, pastor, a, a youth pastor. Incredible, but in doing um, pastoral counseling, I knew I had no tools. Okay. No tools. I, I mean, when I say no, I feel like it's important to pray. It's important to meditate. Mm-hmm. But 
these guys would come in and talk about, well, I chronically masturbate and mm-hmm. I feel like a horrible person. Well, you're not. I mean, it's like trying to help people accept themselves. And then it made me, I realized I didn't want to go into the ministry that in that capacity. We're all in the ministry. We're all trying to help people. Uh, and that's how, when I got interested in going to um, get a PhD in psychology. I think many suffer with that, by the way, from anxiety. Oh, my goodness. Right. So you wanted more tools to help. Correct. I mean, men in particular. Yeah. But, you know, but men, uh, women too, I, it's, I, I just felt like I didn't, I didn't have the tools. I knew I didn't have the and tools. And that was a repeated thing. And okay, mm-hmm. so you wanted to help. You wanted more tools. And that is why you continued in your graduate right. studies or to, to get yes. a doctorate. To okay. A better understanding. Mm-hmm. Because again, I was maybe one mile down the road mm-hmm. into the canyon. Mm-hmm. Maybe okay. one mile. And I knew that I had a lot to learn. And it felt good to understand it. Okay. Because again, not these handles were given. Like I want to. So appreciate- as you're exploring and studying it, mm-hmm. that must have been so fascinating. You're reading about it and studying psychology oh. and how the mind works. You're discovering yourself. Oh my yes? god! Relationship, my family, parents. I'm like oh my goodness. Okay. Feeling overwhelmed. That's how Kundalini Yoga and then mm-hmm. all the trainings were for me. Um, so it must have been a fascinating time. Um, fascinating. Absolutely. And then I also did KDAC, all the drug addiction counselor mm-hmm. stuff. And so that is one way that you're saying that you walked yourself out of the all-consuming Exposure. Paralyzing shame was yes. Okay, absolutely, and As it's ongoing. You were studying, you studied yeah. yourself. Yes, because I thought, and I was in therapy in that entire time. Because okay. we all we're all healing, and that I was my therapist once helped me make sense of all this. Okay, a lot of make a lot of sense of it. Okay. And you, so you got your degree in the midst of all this personal un, un growth and uncoverings and layers. And when did you start writing? When did you, um, I think you opened a practice? Like, how did that all evolve? And then we'll get into the shame. Sure. Topic. That having my PhD, you have, you have to write a dissertation. Mm. I can't, I know now I'm, I'm laughing. Of course I wrote this one. Uh, the misdiagnosis of acting out adolescence. Wow. <laughs> the misdiagnosis <laughs> of, of acting act- out adolescence. Wow. <laughs> and when I pitched that to my chair, <laughs> it was a gentleman and, a, uh, you know, a very refined woman. Mm-hmm. They both me go, we have never heard that. That's very interesting, Stephen. Um, what what's your premise? Let me get back to you on that, okay? <laughs> it was like, let me get back to you on that. <laughs> and it talked about relationships, enmeshment, because enmeshment is when there's no room for individuals. And shame many times has us as a lump of mashed potatoes. Because if we're different, we're bad. 
And many times kids, teenagers try to separate, which is appropriate. And if they do, they're, they're shamed for it. Mm-hmm. So that was my dissertation. Oh. The misdiagnosis, when real, they're not acting out, they're trying to create their own autonomy, their own sense of themselves, which is part of our spiritual path. Okay. That, Nadia, was like getting on the freeway. Okay. <laughs> that's when and it started. And that's what you wrote about. Yes. And that is brilliant. I was, it was, it was, it, it was handed to me from the other side. <laughs> it kind of helped me out. Kind of, hey, why don't you do it. this? I'm like, hey, that's a really good idea. I'll do that. <laughs> it was one of those. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Nadia, that started it. When I started. Is that in a book? It's my dissertation. It will. Yeah. It's in the fa- father, your son, the father factor, mother factor. It's in all the books. It's all there. Okay. But it's the misdiagnosis because I was misdiagnosed. I see. They asked me that. Well, you know, they asked me, so how's this related to you? Like, you know, what's relevant? Well, I was misdiagnosed. <laughs> and, and they go, what? Well, stupid. <laughs> what? Yeah, they, they thought I was stupid. I remember Dr. Hunter just looked at me and goes, this is going to be interesting. <laughs> like, we're just, you just go do it and come back and we'll see you, you know, in, in three months. <laughs> you start writing. But that's how. How thrilling, though, to to to, die, to study all that and write about it, about your personal experience, but then to be from a, a beautiful, uh, separate place, but then bring your own stuff in as you're writing. That's brilliant. Nadia, it feels great today, but at the time. I felt like I was in a sauna, a hot sauna. Because I, how am I going to figure this out? <laughs> it's know, a huge it, task. Yeah, it's like, I, it's like, like the future of the world. <laughs> you know, oh my God. And I'm thinking, I got to do this. I'm going to figure this out. I would not take no for an answer. Okay. And I kept reading and it got approved and they really liked it. But I thought, okay, this is the start. I'm not, I'm going to make this into a book. And now, as I tell you, the misdiagnosis, and to this day, Nadia, 30 years later, 30 plus years later, it's still a misdiagnosis so often. And that's what got me to write The Shame Factor. It's still being misdiagnosed. There we go. Okay. It's still being misdiagnosed. Kids come in, they're acting out. and they're smoking marijuana, like they're drinking water. I'm like, okay, well, what's underneath all that? What are you talking about? No, what's really underneath? I feel like I'm a horrible person. And like you said, like, okay, tell me more. Okay, now we're there. Because that's what's driving you mm-hmm. to offset that feeling. And that's addiction. Shame. That's why I never understood how psychology doesn't grab. How is shame not shame, addiction? Like, what? Like, how are we missing this part of the equation? Mm hmm. And, and I can answer it, 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 it needs to balance because I find right. people that really heal from addiction, whether it be addiction to self-loathing is they've got to deal with their shame factor. Okay. Okay. Dr. Voltaire. <laughs> you know, Nadia, I, I just saying that 
you're very gifted because when we're vulnerable or at our greatest and people think we're at our weakest, no, you're at your greatest potential. And there's since I've said to you in the last hour, I don't know if I've ever told my wife, I think my kids maybe know some of it. And I'm very touched because being vulnerable with you is so liberating. I tell that to guys. And, and I have clients that, you know, they have enough money to buy the world twice. But I go, but you're not happy. Mm-hmm. Because I always use George Carlin's line. Happiness is from within. It's like taping sandwiches to your arm and wondering why you're still hungry. Because the work's within, not without, not without. And talking about vulnerability and addressing shame is beyond liberating. I tell guys there's two doors to taking your life. You can either take the door of forgiveness or deal with the door of shame. Either one will get you to your best self. Say more. Either door. Shame, dealing with shame gets to liking yourself. And by liking yourself, there's the element of forgiveness that you're not. not, Forgiveness is self-acceptance. And forgiving yourself is is the hardest act of kindness, as we know. Mm -hmm. And people go, I don't believe in God. I go, forgive the person you hate the most and see how that works for you. It works. It'll change you. That's your best self. That's your soul healing you, reminding you why you're here, what you have to do. And that's one door. The shame door is over that closet door and what's in there. And it turns out what looked like a monster, you turn the light on, it's a yellow rubber raincoat. But you thought it was this monster and you thought you're a monster. Now, I'm not saying that there are not a lot of men out there that do crazy things. I tell you, if they deal with their shame, it wouldn't be as crazy. Right. It would not be. It It's impossible, Nadia. To deal with shame and not be compassionate is incompatible. They're incompatible. I mean, you deal with your shame, compassion is automatic. Empathy comes with it. It all connected. Self-empathy. Self-empathy. And the vulnerability creates a human connection with another. Right. And it starts with you. So, like, like all the work you've done, you, you connect, we've connected here. And to your listeners, it's very, it's transformational. Thank you. Your story is amazing. And I can see that it's part of your work every day living the work as you're helping others. And where do you start? What is the shame factor? What are its origins? And where would one begin? I love that question. I love that question. Because I've asked it many times. (laughs) (laughs) I don't normally have it. I start with, I tell my client, just take a minute here. 
what, what is the thing about you deep down that you don't like or your your darkest secret that maybe is on the periphery? It's not even within arm's reach, but it's way back there. Let's get to that and see where it takes us. And, and I've never found that not where, to, like not to work. That pastor, if, if I heard that question, mm-hmm. And likely when your patients hear that question, it's like the immediate feeling is I did something wrong. I write about that part of the book, like yes. when something was being done wrong to me as a child. Mm-hmm. And so if when why is that, that the mind is responding in that way that that of defense of of to a question, what is your deepest secret? when it really probably is a response to pain. I, my clients, I never call them patients. Okay, clients. No, 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 no. I tell you, there's a reason. Because a client is a decision. Great. Or a patient is your victim of illness. I want client. to be, I, I, I want people to feel empowered. You're my client. Okay. But I, and it, you, is empowering that they're choosing to be there. It's so exactly the, the the it's already started. But to your point about children blame themselves for everything, and I go back. Hey, where was the first thing you blamed yourself for? And this is really this is open heart surgery. You know, this is not. And I don't start this with a client unless I know that we're going to be here for a while. This isn't like. A, you know, three, you know, three and out, you know, mm-hmm. three weeks and I'm on my way versus, you know, you've done some work and now you're, you're ready to, to go deeper and unplug from that terrorist within you, that emotional okay. terrorist within so you. I see what you're saying and that I remember in the in the first chapter in the shame factor you talk about the connection between shame and self-image is that Absolutely. how this first memory just started Starts. to shape yeah somebody's understanding of and it's their ego mind mm-hmm. in the beginning phases of that work of that separation between that soul voice and so yeah. how does it connect in that question to one's self-image so dr dorothy sears wrote the book your child's self-esteem it was published in 1958 incredible book okay because she says by the age five there's a spectrum there's a sense of feeling competent not confident competent and at the other end of that scale or spectrum is um, feeling inferior. Mm-hmm. How the child is spoken to, how they're held, all that factors in to where they land on that spectrum. And the closer they are to feeling inferior, the more shame they have. The closer they are to feeling competent, the more compassion they have. Interesting. Okay. That's where it starts, Nadia. That's the on-ramp to shame by age five. 
That's beautiful. And this is, I often say every day, my therapist taught me this, we have a choice between love, Mm -hmm. so compassion, soul, and fear or judgment. That's the mind and ego and what our thoughts are based on. So I see. So the self-image, when it's based in that that love, that compassion, it's mm-hmm. our soul's thoughts that are creating those those child understandings. Yes, of who we are in this world, and then mm-hmm. the other side is how our mind yes separates us. Okay, and that is in the, and they say in psychology by age five your personality is set. I think we backed off that. At age five, we kind of know, am I leaning toward feeling competent in life or am I feeling inferior? Unfortunately, a lot of people go toward the inferior side. By age 12 to 15, it's, it's moving. So when we don't know, like you shared in your story, we don't know that this inferior or that this self-image isn't mm-hmm. even really our true selves. No, and that absolutely not. Because there's there's a, there's the now of the mud covering up that golden core self again. It's there. You know, they say in the East by age five they've kind of have an amnesia about the other side. That's not random by age five. Because age five, there's that gold brick within you. Is it getting covered up with mud? Or is it being washed off in a good way and cleaned? Wow. And by age 12 to 15, unfortunately, we don't see the brick. We've lost the brick. Repeat that story and, and this the analogy. Yes, there's a yes, yeah. I, I'm I'm doing the um, the person who ever had the story. <laughs> I apologize for not doing it correctly, but I heard the story once about how this huge gold Buddha. They didn't know where to put it. They were afraid it was going to be captured. Uh, I think it had to do with China and and Nepal. They're scared and. They hid it, and this is centuries ago, and they hid it in this cave and covered it up with, so it wouldn't get stolen, and they wouldn't lose it. Well, people forgot it was there, and then this monsoon came through and washed this cave out, and all of a sudden they saw this gold Buddha, and the person saying, that's us. The mud is shame, and that we forget there's a gold brick inside of us and part of our journey home and your whole met- everything you're talking about your book is getting back to that gold within us or whatever the metaphor that works for you but i find that when i heard that i went oh my god that's so, so powerful psycho psychologically that self-image mm-hmm. keeping this in mind this buddha that's always in us that co- that true mm-hmm. self Core innocence, and then we're in this body with this mind. Mm-hmm. You're saying just the layers keep keep adding, and if and the two sides, yeah. 
that can be added to it are the connection to the golden Buddha, the compassion and love, or yeah, our best self inferiority, mm -hmm. superiority, inferiority. Okay. So when a client comes to you and you ask them that pointed question, that helps us to identify that core wound that our mind core wounds mm -hmm. held on to, to add, continue adding the layers. Absolutely. Okay. And I love the layers. I love, and, and I have a lot of men will come in and say, well, I don't make enough money. There's another, another, um, dump truck load of mud or a woman will come in, you know, I, I can't have children. You know, it's like just another dump truck of dirt on that gold core self. He's, she's in there. He's in there. And that's empowering. So, and how does the, so explain the shame factor in this and, and, and examples of when you say, bam, that's shame, all this mud and these layers, we're mm -hmm. going to, we're going to take it out of the shadows and dive in. What is your process after that? You know, I, or, or in the book, when you say, mm -hmm. you know. The cycle I, of shame. The cycle of shame. And I talk about there's many triggers, but I'll spend a lot of time with a client. Mm -hmm. Having them really internalize. It's like marble. It's in the veins of the marble. Guilt is the water that got spilled on the marble. But the marble, the, the grains in it that, that feel defective, that's shame. That's within us. So it's not guilt. Mm -mm, it's not guilt. It's a, a belief about yourself. It's a belief. When everyone's got, when I, I'll get people to get defensive. With, well, we all have beliefs. That's correct, but they're not all uh, accurate. Okay. And part of it is realizing the inaccuracy. And for instance, people have a fear you know, of public speaking. I'm like, embarrassment. Or they're... I believe anger management is really shame management because anger is a secondary response to feeling powerless. And yes, second you know, is so powerful. Yeah. It, anger. And I tell men all the time when you're raging, you're really powerless mm -hmm. because you, you wouldn't rage. If you didn't feel powerless. Okay. An imposter is that you're covering up that you think you're a fraud, that you're not capable. You don't believe you can take risk and do things and get out of your comfort zone. And people tell me they're struggling with the imposter syndrome, which is, I'm glad it's popular. It's really the shame syndrome. Because, mm -hmm. you know, it'll, it'll keep moving around. And another piece is people who uh, fear rejection. Fear Fearing rejection is that someone's going to see you're defective. Someone's going to see that you're defective. And that's shame versus seeing who you are, your strengths and your weaknesses and, you know, all the, the gifts and all the parts that aren't gifted. So say those three again. Uh, you, you, the embarrassment. Okay. Or, or, or when, when you go isolate, when people are afraid of being rejected, that is shame on steroids in a relationship or because 
fear of rejection is that they're going to think I'm bad. Well, I already think I'm bad. I don't want them to know that. Mm-hmm. And then feeling, because there is no rejection. Because the rejection. Because so people don't yeah. th- see these as shame. And that that's what we're bringing out of the shadows. So it's correct fear of rejection, mm-hmm. the this imposter syndrome, syndrome. Um, rage, anger, anger management. That's all shame. Rage, anger is all shame. Let's and then dive a little more into that. Yeah, it, it just with the, the rage. Like you see people driving in road rage. I'm just saying that because they feel it's they feel powerless in their life. Mm-hmm. So they're expressing it through rage. And so rage underneath is a sense of powerlessness. And feeling you're defective. Okay. Because it doesn't come from feeling competent or capable or good enough. I believe like you experienced in those 15 to 22 or early 20s. Yes. It's the 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 plight for the competency, for the perfection on the outside, the perfectionism that quells this this other side. Yes. Correct. Correct. And then many times, um, you know, uh, people who have a fear of authority and not trusting, you know, and that goes back many times to feeling that you, you weren't noticed and you weren't noticed because you weren't good enough. I know it's, it's a, it, you know, it, it's a path. Uh, and fear of intimacy makes sense because if someone gets close to you, they're going to see your secrets. You know, and odd people say, well, they're, they're non-committal. Well, it's more than that. Right. It's way more than that because people want to be committed, but I don't want you to see all of me. And true intimacy is vulnerability. Not like you today, you're very vulnerable. You got me, I'm vulnerable with you. That's intimacy. Right. And that, for men particularly, that's what they crave. Women, I really believe women understand this so well. And I tell guys, you want to stay married, be vulnerable with your partner. Because when you're vulnerable. When someone is unwilling to be vulnerable, it's. No good. Yeah. No good. Jonathan Gutman the couple's guru and honest. Yeah. He says men who are not vulnerable, they have a 70% divorce rate at 70% of all divorces and his expert in his research. The other 30% is weirdness stuff like, okay. But mm-hmm. the 70% he found is men that were unwilling to be vulnerable with their partner. Now, when you offer a safe space like that with love to someone, um, you know, that, that happened to me like a year and a half ago and it was mm-hmm. the most painful thing as a sober, stable woman that I went through when it's, it's, uh, doubted or criticized or, mm. and so it's interesting you're talking about this because a lot of anger, a lot of shaming, a lot of just inability to, to connect within from the other partner to mm-hmm. see the sense of powerlessness, the non-vulnerability, the, and how really it all scared the person. Yes. Um, 
So all these layers make so much sense. And is like um, I call it's, not, it's, it's nothing outside us. It's it's an inside and, job. Do you know another one? Now it gets chronic fear. Of, yeah, go ahead. Is the yeah chronic um fear of criticism? Okay, that leads to codependence, placating, because I want you to like me so I can. And that is that is just that is it's its own book. So chronic fear of not being feeling good enough. Mm-hmm. And this fear of criticism, inability to tolerate feedback. Like if someone, think, you know, like your day is ruined if your part if this person doesn't think you're you did something wrong, you're panicked. Well, for, that's okay. We'll figure it out. Your gold brick is not in their hands; it's in you. So these are all the classic symptoms, right? And I would love us to go through, maybe do a podcast on each one of them. Okay. Because each one warrants its own uh, evaluation, its own merit. Okay. Where would you like to begin with? We just described, and you gave an overview of the classic symptoms. Symptoms. Let's. I know it may be redundant, but I think the definition of shame. Uh, okay. I think it's really important. And let's do that. Let's, shame is not guilt. I'm going to read the definition because I yes. shame. Let me put on my glasses. Here we go. <laughs> This is directly from Dr. Stephen Polter's book that we will be taking apart the shame factor. Yes. This page, is on page 28 in the first chapter. Shame correct. is not guilt. Well, you know, Nadia, I'm going to have you read it. I'd be, I think it'd be better if you read it. The guilt is directly, that part? Guilt yeah, is right. directly associated with a wrong action or poor behavior that violates one's moral values. Shame is a much different beast. Before we define the inner workings of shame, let's first describe in detail the raw, dark experience of it. Both writers quoted at the beginning of the chapter are identifying the social, personal, and psychological gravity of shame and its role of creating irrational personal beliefs that separate us from the people we love and ultimately from ourselves. That is exactly when I read that, that is exactly on point. <sighs> yeah, that's okay. Yes. And um, not it. Do you want to just read the working, working definition yeah. of shame for this discussion purposes? And we are going to continue to do all of this throughout the podcast. Dr. Polter is defining shame as the following, a primary emotional wound, not a secondary belief, based on a particular action, a paralyzing emotional, mental, psychological state of mind that distorts a person's view of themselves in their world and with others, preventing them from developing a loving sense of self and impairing the individual from developing trusting, secure, 
safe relationships that are based on mutual respect and understanding. A chronic fear state of being discovered as a phony, a fraud, and an imposter. Whoa. <laughs> wow. Oh my goodness. Yeah, that, um, that, I, I, yeah, I did write that. I take responsibility for writing that. Um, <laughs> I take full responsibility for writing this. Whew. And Nadia? Continue? It, you, oh no, that's great. This well, is unbelievable. Yeah, the person. Yeah, Nadia. Maybe the next paragraph, but the person is emotionally- the person is emotionally incapable of feeling like a valuable and productive adult. Has an underdeveloped inner sense of self and lacks personal self acceptance. This is further characterized by a negative inner self portrait and an unclear perspective of relationships with self and others. Oh my gosh. Mm. And the definition is not out of a book or from a particular theory, but from thousands of clients and friends, myself included, who have struggled with this distorted, ugly, blinding emotional state. I would say state of mind. The far-reaching influence of being ashamed isn't limited to any particular situation in a person's life. It is pervasive. Like physical cancer, it becomes the driving force in all of your decisions, romantic, financial, sexual, health, career, and parenting, etc. There is no area of functioning, feeling, and living that isn't colored or touched in this silent shadow. Shame in psychological theory is frequently referred to as a person's shadow side, part of the unwanted and disowned aspects of their personality. Clearly, if you feel ashamed, you don't want to expose or explore these aspects of your behavior or emotions. Concealing these feelings and beliefs from everyone can begin as early as age five. This concealment process is called the false or public self versus the real wounded self. Throughout this book and this podcast, we will explore how to reconcile the false self with the true inner self. Exposure and emotional rewiring is the pathway to your transformation and inner healing. If left untreated, shame has the potential to completely and thoroughly take control of any man or woman's life. A prime example is the fact that virtually all addictive behaviors are shame-based. Hmm. That the universe brought us together. For your expertise and how you just explained that and home is within you being. Yes. A roadmap out of it blows my mind. Yeah, absolutely. They're one and the same. In a great way. Please stay tuned for some real 
meaty conversations as we dive deeper into Dr. Stephen Polter's work and his book, The Shame Factor. Thank you so, so much oh, for being here. My pleasure. Thank you. You are not alone. Anyone out there, there's a free band shame tip sheet to keep your mind a little distracted on some fodder <laughs> you can work on. There's mantras and sayings, and you can get that on my website. I love it. We will see you again, Dr. Polter. Yes. Very, very soon. Okay. Absolutely. Pleasure to be with you, Nadia. Beyond words. Of a flame that never dies. You are not alone. If you are dealing with shame and trauma, please reach out to me through my website, nadia-davis.com. You can get a free band shame tip sheet and find out about upcoming events. I'd love it if you picked up my book, Home is Within You, wherever books are sold. If you like this podcast, please tell a friend, leave a review, and make sure to follow me on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Sending warm hugs. We spend a third of our lives sleeping and dreaming, yet most of us have no idea what goes on during that time. I'm Kelly Sullivan Walden, and as a dream expert and best-selling author, I'm here to empower you to mine the gold from your nighttime dreams. Join me on the Kelly Sullivan Walden Show, part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network, available wherever you get your podcasts. Until we meet again. Don't take your dreams lying down.